Well, we're happy to have Brother Keith Ritchie with us tonight. He is the preacher at the Jacksonville congregation down in Alabama. Of course, uh, that's where House to House, Heart to Heart began. And, uh, of course, it's no longer there now. But he is uh, hes the former preacher at the, uh, was the McKaysville congregation, now it's the Akoi Street congregation. And, uh, of course, Brother Keith preached uh, on our summer series back in 2019 and i mentioned how that came about when uh, brother ron gilbert was here nicole and blakeland were off over in that part of the country and they stopped in and worshiped there and she mentioned to me that might ought to get in, into contact with him and invite him over and, and boy i'm sure glad that we did and uh, i got to know keith and and uh we got to be really good friends, and he introduced me to Brother Ron, and, and the three of us got to be really good friends, and we spent a lot of time together, uh, not as much as we'd like, but uh, we spent a lot of time together on the phone, and uh, we try to get together every once in a while, but uh, they're great encouragers, and uh, beyond that, they're great gospel preachers, and uh, we appreciate so much him coming all the way up here from Jacksonville, Alabama to uh, speak tonight on Jesus Christ superior to Aaron. Come speak to us, brother. Good evening. Oh, that's pitiful. Good evening. That's better. That's better. Aaron, the high priest, but Jesus is superior to Aaron. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we will begin there in just a moment. By way of introduction, I would like to tell you somewhat of an outline for this evening. We're going to see, number one, that Jesus is superior to Aaron in his sonship. Number two, we will observe that Jesus is superior superior to Aaron in his suffering. And number three, we will take note that Jesus is superior to Aaron in that he is salvation's author. Let us begin with point number one. Jesus is superior to to Aaron in his sonship. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, we read, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Look at verse 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Please note verse 5, So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made an high priest, but He that said unto Him, Thou art my Son, today have I begotten Thee. He is superior to Aaron because He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. We're going to look at both of those in this one point. As we think about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you may want to go back just one chapter and look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, 
the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. In the New Testament, the phrase Son of God is there some 231 times used by various people, used by the Pharisees, used by those Jews that were coming up against our Lord. That phrase is even used by the devil himself. We'll see in just a little while. He is also, he is also being used by our Lord. Jesus was, in fact, superior to Aaron because of his high calling. He was not a high priest after the Levitical priesthood, but yet after the order of Melchizedek. And he was not called by God as being a man born of man and woman, but he was his son. As we look at Matthew chapter 3 and beginning with verse 13, we see Jesus coming to John to be baptized of him. And you remember the case very well, don't you? That John saw Jesus and said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And you remember Jesus' words? For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. John baptized him, and you remember the voice that came from heaven? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You flash forward to the book of Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain apart, and there He was transfigured before them, and there appeared unto them Moses and Elias. And remember, Peter, he wanted to build there not one, not two, but three tabernacles. Three tabernacles. And while He was yet speaking, God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Being the Son of God is, is something that just screams forth, heralds forth, if you will, the deity of Jesus Christ. This high priest was not just any man. This high priest was the Son of God. And the Jews knew exactly what that meant. If you were to take note of the book of John chapter 5, you can see them getting fighting mad at Jesus' statement here in the book of John chapter 5 and beginning with verse 18. Well, let's look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was with that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. You see, in the Jewish mind, when Jesus said, God is my Father, I am his Son, that made him equal with God as far as deity. They understood that quite well. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal. That is something to be grasped. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus was the Son of God. He was deity. And He would become the high priest. Not after the Levitical priesthood, but something much better. Much more superior. You think about the deity of Jesus Christ. And many people don't understand this. You know, I was having a pre-marriage counseling session with a couple one time. And I asked them several questions. I actually have a questionnaire for, for people who want to get married. And if I do not believe that they've answered those, those questions correctly, I will not marry them. I may try to set up a Bible study, but normally they get so upset with me, they don't want to go on any further. But I remember one time, one of the questions was, was Jesus Christ who, who He claimed to be? Was He, in fact, 
the Son of God? The answer surprised me. This guy said no. No, he he wasn't the Son of God. He was just a good moral teacher. A good moral teacher that told lies if he was not the Son of God because he was the Son of God. You can't have it both ways. He was just a good moral teacher or else he's the Son of God. You can't have it both ways. He is deity. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. There we go again. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, For by Him, that is by Christ, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, that is, all things are held together. When we consider His Sonship, He is the Son of God. And it heralds forth His deity. But many people today have a very hard time with that. If He is deity, if He does have all authority, I have some problems. And we're going to see some of the problems they have with Him in just a little bit. But not only is He superior to Aaron in His Sonship so far as Him being the Son of God, Number two, he's superior to Aaron because not only is he deity, he also is the son of man. He was born of a woman. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, But but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the what? Law. Jesus Christ was born. He was made flesh. Go back to Philippians 2. Verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ had two natures. He was God and he was man. Open your Bibles once again, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. And I want you to take note of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The word feelings there. Supatheo, sympathy. That's where we get that word. We don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the sympathy of our weaknesses. Here's the beautiful thing about it. He took those weaknesses, some of those very things, and it doesn't always have to mean sin here, okay? It could be some things that that people go through that may lead to sin. For instance, when you look at the book of Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32, there was some hungering going on there, right? When you look at the very temptation of our Lord... After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, there was some hungering going on, but he didn't sin. But he knew what they were feeling. He knew what being hungry was all about. 
when He was on the cross. He knew what being thirsty was all about. He knew what not having a place to even lay His head, not having a home. The foxes have holes and the birds of of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to what? Lay His head. Do you know tonight? All of us are going to go home and we're going to pillow our heads somewhere. But our Lord could sympathize with others' weaknesses. He healed the sick with His compassion. You look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Matthew 14, 15, Matthew 15, 32, Matthew 20, 34, Matthew chapter 18 by way of parable. Some 20 times the word compassion is found in the pages of the New Testament. We don't have a high priest that doesn't know what it's like to be human. We don't have a high priest that sits on the throne that says, well, they just need to get it together and not know how we feel and what we go through. Friends and brethren, we have a high priest that, is, that knows exactly what we go through as human beings. He has been there. Let me ask you a question. The preachers in the crowd, how would you feel if you went to see someone, a family that had lost a loved one, and you don't even get there, and they meet you part way, and they say, it's your fault, Mary and Martha. Remember that? You know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. How would it make you feel? Imagine all the sermons that he preached. Now, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to slay him. You think that would be a discouragement to a gospel preacher? You better believe it would. Imagine all of those times that he just groaned in the Spirit and he wept. He wept. Jesus wept over the loss of a very dear friend. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And he himself, hanging on the cross, saw a, saw a mother being pricked and torn in her heart because her son was hanging on the cross. He knows. And we have a high priest we have a high priest that is touched with the sympathies of our weaknesses. He knows what it is like. So, he's superior to Aaron in his sonship. He's superior to Aaron in in that he is the son of God and the son of man. But as the son of man, something came along with that. Temptation. There's not a day that you and I get out of bed, we put our clothes on, we go to work, or maybe we go to the restaurant and meet some friends for coffee or, or what have you, that we're not tempted. We're not tried. I want you to take note of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 again. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet with out sin. There wasn't one point that Jesus Christ was not tempted with, that, that, that we are tempted with today. Matthew chapter 4, open your Bibles there, if you will, and, and you may have already noticed this, but in the book of Matthew chapter 4, also it is found a good parallel in the book of Luke chapter 4, different order. Matthew chapter 4, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If 
Thou be the Son of God. Command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and saith unto him, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, excuse me, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When you look at what John writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, for not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. First John two fifteen through 17 Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And yet when he was tempted, he did not sin. That's the kind of high priest we have. He was superior in his sonship in that he was the son of God. In that he was the son of man. And that he could feel, he had sympathy for our weaknesses. And when he was tempted, he sinned not. First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. I want to pause here. The word example, hupogramon, this is what it means, an underwriting. I remember when I was in kindergarten, one of the very first things they taught us to do was, was to write. Okay, They gave us sheets of paper with three lines going across. And I'll never forget this. They said, we want you to look. That's your example. That's your example. You look at those letters and you write those letters just as they are found. That was my example. That was my underwriting. Christ is our underwriting. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He did the Father's will. Jesus Christ is far more superior than Aaron in his sonship. Number two, he is far more superior superior than Aaron because of his sufferings. Because of his sufferings. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and open your Bibles there, if you will. Who in the days of his flesh, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and that he was heard because he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he 
suffered. I want to pause there. Our Lord suffered. He suffered. The world would be a different place if people would take the sufferings of Christ seriously. The world would be a better place if they had their hearts pricked and read just what our Lord and our Savior went through. And they realized the sufferings that He went through. As we look at verse 7, you may want to write Matthew 26, 36, FF beside that verse. When you look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36, Then cometh Jesus unto a place called Gethsemane. That word is Gethsemane. It means an olive press. In those days, oftentimes in, in an olive orchard, there would have been olive presses there. And this one type of olive press that I'm going to tell you about is pretty interesting. You see, this olive press, was it, it kind of looked like a beam, like what we'd call a telephone pole, okay? And there was burlap sacks with olives and, and that were filled on one end, and you would put a weight on the other. The first weight that was put on there, would mash down those olives, and and what came out was what we know today as extra virgin olive oil. It's the very best, but that was used for the office of the high priest. The high priest. Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.14. Jesus Christ is our high priest. That second weight that was placed on there would mash out a little bit more. A little bit different, but that was used, that oil was used for baking. When you look at John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus is the bread of life. That third weight that was placed on that olive press. And what came out of that was a substance that was used for the oil lamps. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is the light of the world. But then... After all of that was extracted, that last weight, that fourth weight that was placed on that olive press would bring out a substance that was a lie type substance. That's what they made soap out of. Because of Jesus Christ, we can have our sins washed away. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Going back to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. He came to Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. But what I want you to take note of, if you want to put your ribbon there, you can look at the book of Luke chapter uh, uh, 22 and verse, I think it's 41 there. It says that he kneeled down. Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, about verse 35, he fell down. Brother Winkler said this, when you look at, look at the Gospels backwards like that, Luke, Mark, and then Matthew, you see Jesus kneeling. And when it says He falls, it's the, the language depicts someone that's bowing. And it's a repetitive bow. 
It's, it's repetitious. And then Matthew, he falls on his face. As we look at this, we see him in an olive press being pressed down himself. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became as if it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. This was known as hematidrosis. Not a lot of blood loss here, but you know what that did? That caused the skin to be very fragile. Very fragile. You know, you can look this up on Google. I never thought I would use that word, but Google it, okay? Hematidrosis. And you can see people who are even and hear stories and read stories of people who are going from the jail cell to the death chamber, to the electric chair. And you know what they begin to sweat? Just small droplets of blood. You, you see instances during World War II where a mother is trying to get her children to safety in Europe when the Nazis were bombing their city. And they begin to sweat little droplets of blood. Not a lot of blood loss, but it made the skin very, very fragile. And then you go to the next chapter in Matthew and you see something happening. They scourged him. They scourged him. They ripped and tore his back open. Brother V.P. Black said that his shoulder blades would have looked like two snow-capped mountains in the midst of a sea of blood. And then they took him to Calvary's cross. Those nails would have hit a nerve in the hand. And the hand was considered the wrist up even to the forearm area. Now here's what's interesting. One doctor by the name of Betharel said this, you want to know the pain that Jesus went through? They said, you ever hit your funny bone? It's not too funny. That's called the median nerve. They said, take a pair of pliers. And it's as if you grab that nerve and you twist it and twist it and twist it. That's the suffering our Lord went through. And then the breathing on the cross was labored because He had to push up on that nail that was in His feet. He's superior to Aaron because that high priest was also the what? Sacrifice. Superior to Aaron. You see, the, the, the priest on the Day of Atonement would go through, he would go through the holies, then go through the veil to the Holy of Holies. And he would have to give sacrifice for himself before the people because he had sinned but not our sinless high priest. And he himself with the sacrifice. And he passed into the heavens, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, and Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, he is now sitting on that throne. He is superior to Aaron in his sonship. He is superior to Aaron in his suffering. And number three, he is superior to Aaron, Aaron in that he is salvation's author. Can you think of anybody else to be salvation's author? As we look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 again, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. There is something to be obeyed. He is superior to Aaron in that he brought forth eternal salvation. 
but there is something that has to be obeyed. You know, people don't like that. Modernism does not like that. There are many people that say and have a modernistic uh, mindset, they'll say, no, 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 no. Doctrine is not important. Jesus is important. Why don't we put away our petty doctrinal differences? Why don't we do away with doctrine? And let's just, let's just concentrate on Jesus. I'm going to tell you this, you can't separate Jesus and doctrine. You can't do it. Matthew chapter 7. You know, you look at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount. And you look at the end of that, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus had, had spoken or finished all of these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know, the scribes were those who who would copy the law. And it was very meticulous. The Jews looked at the, these scribes and they said, you know, these people really know the Word of God because they're copying it. And I don't believe sometimes if our brethren really understand why the scribes were always the ones that they say, hey, go get him, go get him, try to entrap him. Because these men would, would have words they would count, letters they would count, jots and tittles, lines they would count. You see, once they copied it, they would give it to a counter. He would count, and if it didn't pan out, guess what they would do? They'd throw it in a trash heap. But Jesus taught them as one, not just that someone that was knowledgeable, but someone that had authority concerning the Scriptures. You can see that authority in the Sermon on the Mount. But did you see they were astonished at His what? Doctrine. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31, but as touching the resurrection of the dead. Have ye not read that which was, which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when, they, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at His doctrine. You look at Mark chapter 11 and, and verse 18, and the scribes and chief priests heard it. They heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. John chapter 18 and verse 19, after Jesus had been arrested and he was going through the mockery of a trial, then the high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Don't tell me doctrine is not important. There is something to be obeyed. And Jesus is superior to Aaron in that He is salvation's author. When we think about what's going on today, and many people just say, oh, doctrine's not important, the Bible's not important. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 13, and I want you to do some underlining. I've underlined these words. And we're going we're gonna to consider the Word of God just for a moment. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 7. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear, underline this, the word of God. Look down at verse 8. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from, underline this, the faith. 
Look at verse 10, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert, underline this, the right ways of the Lord? And then look at verse 12. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You see, the word of God, the faith, the right ways of the Lord, and the doctrine of the Lord are all the same thing. And when people say, oh, doctrine is not important. Remember that same couple I told you about at the beginning? Where the man said, Jesus was not the Son of God, He was just a good moral teacher. Here's what the lady said in answering the question, because one of those questions was this, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that it stands forever? She said, I believe that it needs to be revised. I believe that it needs to be updated. I believe that it needs to be changed. That it needs to be tweaked. She had a modernistic mindset. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its histories are true. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to guide you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the sailor's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven is open, and the gates of hell are disclosed. It has Jesus Christ as its subject. Our good is designed, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the mind, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth. A paradise of glory and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life. Will be opened at the judgment and dear friends, it will be remembered forever. It is the hive of all sweetness. The armory of all well-tempered weapons. The tower containing the crown jewels of the earth. The lamp that kindles all of the lights. The home of all majesties and splendors. And finally, it is the stepping stone on which heaven stoops to kiss the earth with its glories. It is no wonder then that we read just prior to Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 14, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick, that is, it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is something to be obeyed when it comes to salvation, and Jesus Christ is that author of eternal salvation. The world doesn't like it. Modernists don't like it. The word repent is being taken off bookmarks. Did you know that? I went into a denominational bookstore and the bookmark said, God's plan of salvation. I, I couldn't resist. I bought it. Baptism was the first thing I looked for. It was on there. But guess what wasn't? Repentance. Repentance. Here is a modernistic mindset. I don't have to change my mind and live and change the way I live my life. I don't have to repent. Homosexuals. Those living in that sin love the modernistic mindset. They don't like doctrine. Those that are living in adultery, they don't like doctrine. Those that are living outside of Christ, 
and, and have that warm, comfy feeling because they feel Christ or God come into their heart. They don't like doctrine. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Dear friends, it may be that you're here this evening and you've not obeyed the high priest. Oh, he's superior in his sonship. He is superior, superior because of his sufferings and he is superior in, because he is salvation's author. Won't you obey what the author of eternal salvation has to say this evening? In the book of John chapter 8 verse 24, we must believe. In Luke chapter 13 verses 3 and 5, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In the book of of Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny also before my Father which is in heaven. I want to stop and say this. A gospel preacher told this story one time. I'll never forget it. He'd been studying with this man for a couple of weeks. And the man actually came in and, and wanted to know what he had to do to be saved. So he had been studying with this man for a couple of weeks. And the man called him and said, I'm ready to be baptized. He went and picked the man up and drove to the front of the church building. And the man said, would you drive around the block? And he thought, well, that's strange. But the preacher didn't say anything. He, he drove around the block. And he got back around to the front of the building. The man said, would you drive around the block again? And he thought, maybe he's afraid of water. You know, I, I've known of people like that myself. And, and I thought, and, and that's what that preacher was thinking. He's just afraid of water. So he drove around again. And again, they got to the front of the church building and the man said, would you drive around the block again, please? And finally the preacher said, what's going on? Are, are you afraid of water? Is, is there?" So he said, no, I'm not having second thoughts about it. He said, uh, I'm not afraid of water. He said, but you see those people that are standing across the street? That's normally the crowd that I hang around and I don't want them to know what I'm doing. He wasn't ready. You see, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Because of who He is, we can stand firm in our confession. And then we must be baptized. Mark chapter 16 verse 16. It very well could be the case that you're here this evening and you obeyed the gospel many years ago, but for some reason or another, you've erred from the faith. You possibly could have brought shame and reproach on the Lord and His church. Don't you think that it's time that you reunite yourself with the God that loves you, with the Savior that is our high priest that suffered and died for you, and with the Holy Ghost that seeks to guide you through the written word. While together we stand and sing.